You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome, everyone, to the Asteroid Belt here over on a moon you've never even heard. Wait, wrong. What? No. Uh, 602 Club, I mean, uh, sorry. I, I get confused. There's so many speakeasies there in the Star Wars galaxy. I can't ever remember which one I'm at, but we're here at the 602 Club. We're going to go by the Asteroid Belt tonight because we're going to be talking about something special for everybody uh, before we dive into that one, I got some amazing guests, and I'm just I'm really excited for you, the listener, to hear who's here tonight. And first and foremost, the one, the only, Bruce Gibson. I am so glad to be sitting here in the 602 Club and ordering drinks from Ruby. What'd you get tonight, Bruce? Well, I got uh, Tequila Sunrise. And uh, actually, no, they- Great, now I've got the Eagles song stuck in my head. Exactly. <laughs> Are you going to start singing it? No, no, I'm not. I, I not tonight. But wow, uh, everybody, later. Matt is having an off <laughs> night tonight. <laughs> if he's not going to sing, something's wrong. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, enough of Bruce. He's trying to get me to sing. The one, the only, uh, sporting a very nice cane and beard tonight. Uh, looking fantastic, Aaron Goins. Aaron, how's it going, man? I like to think of it more as my Obi Wan beard. Well, I like that too. But I, but isn't. Isn't Kanan your your favorite Jedi? Uh, I don't know. I think Obi-Wan and Kanan are on equal footing for me. I, if we're talking like animated okay. series, definitely Kanan. If we're talking movies, definitely Obi-Wan. Okay. Well, I, and I'm, I'm in a complete agreement. Obi-Wan is my favorite Jedi as well. Your beard is just much better than mine, and so I'm slightly jealous. And so I don't want to harp on that. Uh, just before... Uh, we dive into talking about A New Dawn tonight, the very first book in the new canon of Star Wars. You can find us on iTunes at iTunes.com slash TrekFM, where TrekFM is a feature provider of audio content for all your geek needs. You can find everything Star Trek and beyond here with the 602 Club. Make sure you check it out. And, you know, here in the new year 2017, help us grow. Give us a star rating and review. It, it definitely helps out the show. We're on Twitter. Trek FM, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. We've also got the listeners only discussion group there. The Babel Conference, you can find that on Facebook. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook. Or if you go to our website at trek.fm, click discussion on any of those menu bars that you'll find on the show pages. That'll bring you there as well. And last but not least, uh, you can send us an email. Go to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club. That'll come straight to me and any of the other hosts that were on this week. So really excited to dive into this one with both of you. Uh, Aaron, uh, you're an expert uh, in Star Wars books. I mean, you do host a, a Star Wars books podcast, so uh, yeah, I had to have you here. Star Wars bookworms, anyone, if you're not listening, make sure you do. Uh, and Bruce, I mean, you've been on plenty of the Star Wars 602 Club episodes as we've been talking about the new canon, old canon. I know you've read a bunch of it. I've seen your library. That's true. Yes. I've been, I've, I've read every book of the new canon at this point. So I'm doing a lot better than I did with the old EU. How about you, Aaron? Uh, 
were you a huge fan of the Legends line? Had you read a ton of it? Uh, or was it more like, eh, you pick and choose? Oh, huge fan is probably an understatement. The books for Star Wars is actually what got me into Star Wars. So sometime in the 90s, I don't know, I can't remember the exact year, I found I found Courtship of Princess Leia of all novels. And I became hooked in this Star Wars universe. And I kind of discovered the movies and stuff through the books. So yes, I was all about, I mean, not every Legends novel was a, a home run, but I was all about that stuff. The Dark Horse comics, all of it. I mean, you set the bar kind of low with the courtships of Princess Leia. I was so a teenager. I, I didn't know any better. To me, there were Night Sisters and and Rancors, and I don't know. It just was cool. I, it was really cool to me. I think I got into it right around, right at the right age, and I wasn't s- super critical like a lot of us have gotten, in, you know, later in our lives. Um, at that time, I just I just thought it was Star Wars, you know, and I just, it was the continuing adventures of Luke Skywalker, which is what I wanted. And so and now we're getting that in film form. Um, but at that time, we didn't have that, you know, other than in the books. So, yeah, I ate it all up. I was a huge fan of the legend stuff and still like to go back and and uh, pick through that stuff occasionally. Well, it's funny that you say that because I think we have very similar experiences. I was the same way. I was about that same age digging into these books i didn't care you know um i mean i knew the crystal star was bad (laughs) i i I could admit that was bad you know planet of the twilight not good uh but you know i i read all the way up to to crucible and i actually enjoyed crucible uh which is the very last book in legends line so uh you know for me yeah I, i love that stuff but we got a brand new canon here starting with a new dawn and before you jump on me, send me an email other than the Son of Dathomir comic, which is canon, which had come out before this, which was by Dark Horse. In fact, it's the only Dark Horse comic that is canon. This was the first, this was the introduction to Star Wars literature as it was going to be. So I wanted to ask both of you, since we have those experiences with both of the universes, how do you think that this book functions do you think it functions well as a lead-in to a whole new world of star wars literature i think that for me in the new canon like if i was ranking my favorite novels in the new canon this one wouldn't be necessarily near the top i i don't know if this one was kind of the lead into the new canon almost by accident this i feel like this one was already kind of being planned and the timing of it just kind of worked out that it was the first one that came out for the new canon but it doesn't it's not like this great introduction to the new canon. It's almost a prequel to the Rebels television series more than anything else. But if you're not really invested in the Rebels television series, which there are plenty of people out there that aren't, um, this book probably didn't really, you know, it wasn't what people were probably looking for for that first big novel in the new canon. So I could see some people being a little disappointed with, with what they got, um, maybe expecting bigger things. For me, I didn't focus so much on it being the first book in the new canon. I knew it was, but if anything, it was more about learning about these characters that are going to be in this new TV series, Star Wars Rebels, because this book came out before Rebels came on the air. So I was more interested in getting to know Kanan and Hera 
and seeing where that was going to lead into Rebels and maybe even enhance that series for me, just like reading Catalyst before going to see Rogue One. So that's how I approach this book. But yes, I knew it was the first novel in the new canon, but it wasn't, as Aaron was saying, there wasn't anything in there that, it's not like it reset the universe. And when I read it, I went, oh, this is so different. This is totally different than Legends. It contradicts it. It actually could fit in to what was Legends at that time. I don't know if there's been a new a novel in the new canon, I feel like, that kind of feels like a reset. They almost all feel like they could fit in. I mean, they've even used a lot of the, st- the authors, you know, from from the uh, the Legends era. So it's not like you get this big like reboot where things just feel completely different. I mean, they did a good job of blending in so many familiar elements that you did you didn't feel like there was this big cutoff, even though there was technically. Right. Yeah. The only book that I'm thinking of that kind of feels in that vein of okay, this is a this is rebooted and this is different is Lords of the Sith because it changes the the story for Darth Vader uh, somewhat from what had been in. Rise of the Dark Lord. Uh, there's some definite contradictions with that. So that kind of felt a little bit like a reset. But I, I agree with both of you. There's there's nothing really hard and fast that says, we're completely different. We're not going to actually even ever use anything from the old Legends line, which isn't true because a lot of these authors pull from things and make canon. I mean, geez, uh, Luceno just made the Rin canon again. Calf is canon. So, uh, you know, y- you can go to Calf Bucks. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's still in the, you know, galaxy far, far away. I love away. that you picked up on the Rin reference. I thought I was literally the only person that caught that in that book. Oh, no, man. I was I, I was super excited. I was like, what? Of all species for them to bring into canon. <laughs> but that's totally Lucino. That was a, that was a selfish move on his part. <laughs> that was a Lucino creation. Yes, definitely. Though, so it? that was, I, I wonder if the editors even realized that he did that because it's such a obscure species. <laughs> it is an obscure species. Uh really factors into like a part of the new Jedi Order series kind of filling in the place of Chewie who gets a moon dropped on him, but anyway, let's not talk about that. It's interesting as we were talking about the and as you guys were kind of mentioning how you felt about this being the first book in the new Star Wars literature. I was thinking about this book and I think it is a good introduction to Star Wars literature. Again, but also maybe for people who never experienced it because it sets it in that OT framework, which is so important for so many people and is building on things that I think people would like to be able to read about and understand in the same way. I think one of the reasons so many people responded so well to Rogue One, uh, I think this book kind of fits within that milieu of it's close enough to the OT but far enough away that you can do your own thing and, and make it feel like you're, you're back in this universe and it feels very familiar. But at the same time, I think John Jackson Miller doesn't shy away from using anything from the feeling to, to even allusions to, to actual references and things from the prequel trilogy. So uh, I, I felt like this was a good place to start. And of course fortuitous because it will be our introduction to two characters that will meet in rebels yeah i mean that's a good point i now that you say that this book probably is a good introduction to star wars literature and to the new canon because when i'm thinking back at that time if you were only someone who watched the movies 
Then the last movie that came out, of course, was episode three. So the prequels were the last thing we saw on screen. So jumping into this book takes place after the prequels and is a bridge to the original trilogy. So it's setting, it's, it's kind of reflecting back on the Clone Wars and what happened in the prequels, but then yet bridging that gap of showing where things are going in the galaxy and what's happening with the formation of the Empire that we see in the original trilogy. So it does have a good place, which is really funny in a lot of ways because I remember a time where, where there was nothing between the prequels and the original trilogy. And I thought, will we ever mind that era? And now we've gotten so much. We even got a movie that's, of course, right before episode four, but at least it's somewhere in that 19-year period. So this is, a, I think it is a good introduction. Yeah, and, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, there weren't a ton of books set in the dark times. There were a few. Uh, Jedi Knights, I think, was, it, it might, is, is that the series I'm thinking, Aaron? Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it um, Jedi Knights? Are you thinking like the Coruscant Knights book? Coruscant Knights. Thank you. Yes, that's what I'm thinking of. That series was there. Uh, We had the... There was a comic series called Dark Times. Yes. Yes. And then Last of the Jedi by Jude Watson, the uh, young adult reader series that happened in that time period as well, uh, right after Order 66. Obi-Wan Kenobi shows up in a couple of those books. And so, yeah, there, there are a few things, but there's not a lot. So, yeah, I think it does feel like uh, an interesting place. But when I look at covering this book now, as in, you know, instead of when it came out, it honestly makes a lot of sense that they would start here. And I mentioned that we get an introduction to two new characters that are going to be the stars or a couple of the stars of the newest show that was going to be starting Star Wars Rebels that was going to be, I guess, sequel to, in some ways, the Clone Wars and all of that. So I wanted to ask you guys, how do you feel like, first, that this works as an introduction to these two characters? I think it does a good job introducing the two characters that we see in Rebels. When I started watching Rebels after reading this book, it seemed to make sense that we had this history where Hera and Kanan met in an earlier time and she was on her rebel mission and, and he was kind of this lone Jedi that's just out there moving freight and then he's hitting on her and there's, there's a little di- bit of a dynamic there of him having interest in her but she doesn't really show that interest in him but by the time we get to Rebels we don't see that there's a, a romantic relationship between the two, but there's speculation that there may have been. So I kind of liked how the novel established that aspect of the relationship that carries on into what may be hinted at as something that was romantic, maybe at some point. I don't know. I don't ever really think they've ever been romantically involved in a serious way, but maybe. I I think that the book... What didn't work for me reading it and then watching Rebels was that it really didn't represent the series. It really just introduced these two characters, but in a totally different story. That's what we don't see in Rebels. So it, I was hoping it was more of an intro into Rebels where it was more just an introduction to these two characters. Yeah, I'm sure that John Jackson Miller kind of had his hands tied as he was writing this novel as far as what he was allowed to reveal. You know, this... This novel is coming out 
previous to the show. And so they want to save a lot of that stuff for the show. I was kind of the same way as I was reading through it. I'm like hoping for, you know, because we had seen some of the characters that were going to be in Rebels, but the show hadn't come out yet. And so you kind of know the cast, you know what's coming. And so when they, when the, when I'm reading through the novel and I'm kind of like, oh, I want to see, you know, not just these two characters. I kind of want to see, even just give us a little bit of chopper, you know, something um, there. I, but I, that probably a lot of that was probably them telling Jackson or John Jackson Miller, hey, you can work with these two characters and we're not going to really tell you that much about them. Because even reading through it, like the the characterization of the, of the of Kanan and Hera was a little off. I thought, you know, they didn't reflect what the characters became in the show. See, I attributed that to the fact that this was an earlier time in their life and they're a little more mature now. But I do feel like they were a little off. But I I I I feel that this is a different time period in rebels. So it may be different. And then the fact that this isn't a rebels novel, as I was reading this, that first time I kept reminding myself, this isn't rebels because it doesn't say that anywhere on the cover. It's star Wars, a new dawn, not star Wars rebels, a new dawn. So I always had to keep reminding myself, don't get your hopes up. This isn't rebels. It's just two characters from that new series happen to be in this star Wars story. Yeah. Looking at it for almost like two perspectives, you, for me as a reader, this is kind of how I take things in, is when I look at it from an in-universe in perspective and just kind of forget about the real world and think, yeah, it makes sense that characters would grow and change um, over this long of a period of time. But then I'm also looking at it from just a 100% out-of-universe practical perspective, and I just think he just didn't have enough information about the characters to actually truly reflect what you get in the series. And I think you both are making amazing points. And, and this book does take place six years prior to the events of the show. So that is quite a bit of time. But I also, uh, I guess uh, I see both of your sides, but I, I think that John Jackson Miller does a good enough job of explaining why Kanan is the way that he is, why Hera the way, is the way that she is, and he sets the foundation for who they are going to be in that series, and he sets them on that course, but you realize that there's still tons of stories that they could tell between this and the beginning of Rebels that really continues to build those characters. And in fact, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see more Hera and Kanan adventures as they build towards what we see in Rebels, that would be fantastic. Like, you know, uh, picking up Sabine, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think it would be wonderful. Uh, and maybe they'll get an opportunity to do that one day. But I, especially in the second read of this, I felt like I saw more correlations of where they'd go than I did the first time. So I, I felt like this felt more congruous my second reading through and having watched Rebels than it did my first reading through and then seeing the series. So, yeah. and, and maybe that's because I know the series and now I can pull from the series and put back into this book. And that's, that's probably what it is. Yeah, the second time I read this, now that I've seen the series, reading Kanan and Hera, they sounded like Kanan and Hera. So I, now that I knew the voices, the actors' voices... It worked, meaning it didn't sound jarring what Hera was saying 
with the voice that I know of of Hera and same with Canaan. It actually seemed to flow and work for me. Yeah, you can picture, you know, Vanessa Marshall and Freddie Prince Jr. doing these voices and it sounds very similar. And I also just, I mean, I like specifically just with the, the character of Kanan, you know, he does a very good job of talking about the immense struggle that he's been through. And it, it he I think he does a great job of setting up why he's been so resistant to doing anything different other than just surviving. And that, you know, in a lot of ways, um, <laughs> Hera is kind of the thing that ignites a spark in Kanan to move him forward. And so I, I don't know that that's something that really does work for me. Like a spark of rebellion. Uh, like a spark of rebellion. Yes. Yeah. So Bruce kind of alluded to it earlier and I, I wanted to, I guess maybe get Matt's thoughts on it, but the relationship question, you always, you hear the, are they, aren't they, you know, space married kind of thing that goes around. Bruce, you said you didn't think that they've had a relationship that's more romantic. I- I, I, maybe it's that I'm hoping they didn't, but I I somehow don't think they did. I think that this book also sets the foundation for their space marriage. That in those six years, especially before the beginning of the series, I, I feel like that there is, there are times when they are very much together but that they also realize that there's something much more important to which they are looking to and and a part of. There's something much more important, this rebellion, and they're both very committed to that, and that that relationship does not get in the way of that. They're both very firmly committed to that. But I do think that this, especially in light of the series, does a great job of setting up that there is an attraction between both of them, and I can't imagine that in six years that attraction has never been acted upon or consummated. <laughs> We're keeping it PG here, folks. But that, but that doesn't take away from everything else that they, they know that they're committed to for the galaxy. You know, if, if they can get through this war, they'd be married forever. Um but they just don't know if they'll ever make it there. I, I would so, like to see a play out that they never got together, and maybe at the end of Rebels, when everything plays out, they get together later in life. I don't know. I just feel like if there's all this going on, it's maybe one's interested at the time and the other isn't, and then the other's interested. And I just I get tired of stories where characters seem to be, oh, there's a flirtation, there seems to be something there. And yeah, they always end up together. Well, sometimes it doesn't always happen that way. I have the proof. In my life, it doesn't always happen that way. <laughs> <laughs> I I like how they've handled it on the show though. I feel like they they definitely they don't portray it as this tension between them or even a lot of flirtation. It's more they just have a genuine uh care their care for each other and there's probably a love however you want to describe the word. Uh, between the two characters but because of the circumstances they're in they've never explored that you know they've probably never taken the time to figure out if there is more between them Um, but I think there is a genuine love that they both are aware of Um, they just need to wait for the galaxy to settle down first (laughs) 
<laughs> well, and I, I think that they also do a good job of kind of setting up how they'll be space parents, you know, to Ezra and Sabine and even someone. Or maybe they have their own kids someday and he grows up to be Snoke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who knows? Well, he doesn't have any head tails, so that would be kind of weird. Um, but no, I think they, they, they do a good job of kind of setting up the, the dynamic that we're going to get even later on in the show. Uh, where they're kind of the parents and everybody kind of follows them. And, and I, yeah, I, I think that John Jackson Miller does a, a very good job with the introduction, uh, which I, gu- I guess I really want to ask specifically, let's talk about Hera here in, in her introduction to us. What did you guys think about her um, and as, you know, this is the first time we met her, obviously, because we read this book before the, the show came out. And now... What do you think of this reading it in light of the show? So in the show, you get used to her being like you were kind of saying that they her and Kanan almost act like the parents. They're the responsible ones. She is the pilot of the ship. She, in many ways, is the leader of that group um, and the one that stays level headed and makes the right decisions. In this book, you get a version of her that is younger. She doesn't have this crew that she has to take care of. And so she seems a lot, a lot more, I don't know the right word to describe it, but she is a different kind of person where she's almost this spy, you know, type character that, you know, I can just imagine her kind of slinking around and like punching stormtroopers in the face, you know, that kind of thing where you don't, you you don't get to see her do that in the show too much. So this was, we're getting a peek at what Hera was like before she had, to become the mother of the ghost, you know, crew. Um, and I like kind of seeing that side of Hera because we don't get to see that in the show. That's a really good answer. And I agree because I think I like Hera better as she's portrayed in this book than she is on the show because in the show she is more of the mature motherly figure and Kanan's also more mature and a fatherly figure. And you know what? People are more interesting when they're single than when they get married. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Bruce. I mean, you were so much more interesting, you know, know. back in the day. We all were. You didn't know know? me when I was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking that Bruce, I was, I was like, I kind of like Hera more. And I love Hera in, in rebels. She's actually my favorite character in the show. Uh, because I, I love uh, just what she represents, and I just I love the characterization. I, I think Vanessa Marshall's uh, voice acting for the character and everything about her is just fantastic. But there's something fun about watching her be a little bit more carefree, a little bit more sarcastic, and just kind of on her own here, and that's a lot of fun. You know, like you said. Uh, it almost is like she's the original fulcrum, uh, even before Ahsoka, because that's what she's doing. She is spying on the Empire, and her goal is trying to figure out what the Empire is really up to, but also who might be able to help her in a rebellion, which I think is is fascinating. And it, it makes her this really cool character because she's one of the first people that we're getting introduced to, especially in the new canon, that is all about taking down the Empire. And I, I think it's, it's pretty awesome. I, I love the characterization here. I really enjoy reading her. And um, yeah, her 
barbs back and forth with Kanan are a lot of fun. Uh, because even here, yes, yeah, she's younger, but she's still the more mature one. <laughs> and she really captivates Kanan. He is yeah. the typical you know, guy that gets blinded by the beautiful woman. And a lot of his motivation, I think, comes from his infatuation with her. He's definitely crushing on her in this book. And you can see why, you know, the way that they characterize her. She is this very fascinating woman that he just, he's just like, yeah, I need to know more about this person. I mean, that's what happens when you run into a Twi'lek of the night, you know. Uh, you, you just, that's what happens, man. I guess so. so. He... <laughs> Oh, gosh. Okay, so we got Hera. What did you guys think about... Let's talk about Kanan. He didn't use the Force. No. He, the, the hard part about this book is they really wanted to keep Kanan undercover. You know, you, you're not going to get the big Jedi reveal for Kanan... Undercover until Kanan? ...until the show. And, you know, they, they're saving that for the show, which, you know, he has an amazing moment in the show where he puts his lightsaber together and stands up and ignites the lightsaber and everybody's like, oh my gosh, it's a Jedi. You know, so I'm glad they saved it for the show. But the because of that, the book is not allowed to use him in that way. And so you don't get Jedi Kanan, you get uh, drunk mining Kanan. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit different. I enjoyed the character, but it's definitely not the same wow factor that you get from him in the television show. Yeah, there's none of that mystic Jedi mysticism, whatever, all things going on about Jedi and how to be a good Jedi and how to sense the Force. You, we're not getting much of that. I, you're right, we're getting the drunk miner Kanan, and, which he, to me it makes his character uh, a little more fun. It, I guess the thing is I'm really noticing that I think I like the characters in the book better. Well, and I think that's because a book, we can get to know more about the character than we can within a 22-minute episode. So a lot of these episodes, when we're watching Rebels, are you know fairly quick, where in the novel we get to get into their head and really see what's motivating them. And I feel like I have a deeper understanding of the characters and, and can settle into them more than I can on the show. So maybe it's not really a good comparison. And again, it's not that I don't like Kanan or Hera in the series. It's just, I think I like reading about them in the novel and getting to know them better in that manner. I remember when I was reading through the book and before having watched the show, and I was really worried that I wasn't going to like Kanan because of the way he was portrayed in the book. Even early on when he's talking to Skelly and Skelly's trying to get his attention, he's like, dude, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. And then he just punches him in the face to get him to leave him alone. And I'm like, this guy's a jerk. You know, Kanan is a mean guy. I don't like that about him. Um, and, you know, obviously with the show, he's a lot different. And I, he's, you know, probably my favorite character in the, in the show. But I remember reading through the novel and thinking, I'm not going to like this guy. Yeah, I'm, I re actually, now that you say that, I remember thinking the same thing. I wasn't sure if I liked him that much until the show came on. But now going back and rereading it, it's almost like I like... I like him better now in the book because I know who he is eventually. It's like finding out a friend of yours, uh, what he was really like in college and high school and just laughing about it. It's more entertaining now. Yeah. What What's interesting to me about Kanan here is the way in which John Jackson Miller 
and he, he takes this opportunity a few times in the book, and I like it. It reminds me a little bit of the episode three novelization where Stover would almost take that aside to tell you some important things. And he does that with Kanan and explaining his experience, and they'll go into it more, obviously, in the comic series that they did, the Kanan comic. But they do a great job here in the book of giving you that picture of exactly what Kanan's been through from the end of Order 66 all the way to this point where he has been somebody who's been hiding and um, he's taking every advantage of that Jedi calling to not be attached to its nth degree uh, uh, so that, that he can stay alive and stay hidden and uh, you know, uh, at the same time, he's a young man, so he's also taken that as an opportunity to get drunk and get laid and go find the next, you know, dangerous thing he can do. And I just, what I liked, like you're talking about Bruce, it's like this is the wild oat side of Kanan, and it's interesting to watch him start out here. And again, I think Hera does ignite a spark in him that makes him want to go back to to finding and being about something more than just himself. Like it's it's almost like he's finally gotten tired of that. Uh, and and she helps ignite that spark because he's interested in her. But I also think her zeal and passion for what she's doing rub off on him in a really good way. And so I think that was really fascinating. Quick thing though. There's a great thing in, in the book. There's a quote there that I wanted to read just in, in reference to the idea and, and talk about it with you quickly, Jedi relationships. And it says in the quote that the Jedi Order was more than an unpaid police force, more than just an exercise club that was into metaphysics. It was a way of life based on the Jedi Code and a lot of rules for living that weren't in the code that had been tacked on later. One was that the Jedi avoided becoming involved in romantic relationships. Once on the run, Kane and Jairus had found this role pretty easy to forget about. So it's interesting to me that we learn specifically here in canon, uh, the Jedi order and code, it, it's, it reminds me very much of the Jewish original five books of the law, and then those books were added to later on uh, by the priests and their interpretation, and those became part of the law, even though they weren't originally. They just kind of got tacked on. So the Jedi Code got tacked on with orders that weren't originally part of the code, and one of those was you're not allowed to be in romantic relationships. I think that's fascinating to learn, that that's not originally part of the Jedi Code. It's something they added later. I think they're trying to lay the groundwork for the flaws of the Jedi, what caused them to fall. So the the original ideas in the, of the Jedi have have changed, you know, over the years, and the Jedi have become something that isn't what they originally were meant to be, and I think that is ultimately what led to their downfall. So this is just one example of that, um, where they started to try to maybe get a little too high and mighty, a little bit too stuck on themselves, and uh, a little self righteous, and I think that all went hand in hand with why they were defeated by the emperor and the emperor was able to infiltrate and destroy them. And the out of universe answer <laughs> may be <laughs> that they want Jedi to have relationships 
And so, well, it wasn't really part of the code. It was something that was added later. So now that the Jedi aren't around, you can drop those rules and, and we can allow our Jedi characters in, in future stories to have relationships because that's what we want. More like guidelines anyway. Right. I mean. We really, <laughs> we really haven't seen, I'm trying to think now if we've seen examples of Jedi having relationships beyond this um, where it wasn't something they were doing in secret. Have we? Uh, the, the closest that we've come in canon that I can think of where it's not necessarily hidden was the relationship between Obi-Wan and Satine. I felt like that was still uh, kind of hidden. That they, well, no, but because uh, when it's, they're on the run because her, him and Qui-Gon are protecting her. They talk about they're being on the run for a year uh, and it does seem like a relationship built there, but she was never going to ask him to leave the order and he was knowing, never going to leave the order unless she asked. And so... It, right, in order, he basically he would have had to leave the order, so he knew he would be breaking the rules. Um, but that's as close as I can think of in, of, of there being you know a, a kind of relationship because they, they still keep some kind of relationship. I mean, there there's something going on between them when they meet during the Clone Wars. They're, I mean, it's not like those feelings died. They just they're I think that they had good intentions when they're when they're trying to create these rules around, you know, the Jedi and I mean, attachments do lead to bad things and you know, we saw the epitome of that with what Darth Vader ends up doing and why Anakin ended up falling. A lot of that was because of his attachment as a fr in his fear of losing the person that he was so attached to. So I think they had good intentions, and uh, they probably just took it a little too far. But since this novel and in the new canon, in a sense you could say The Force Awakens, because if a lot of people speculate Rey is Luke's daughter, and if that's true, then, you know, Luke, he ignited his lightsaber somewhere with someone, right? And you always have the, the question of like, well, you're not supposed to have attachments, but does that mean you can't have a physical relationship? I mean, there's plenty of people that can do that and not be attached per se. So I don't know. I can't, well, I can't I, do I, that I'm, like you can, yeah. Aaron. No. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know that, uh, you know, somebody asked George that question. He's like, yeah, yeah, I have sex. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, there you so, go. We're good. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine them not. So. Uh, it seems it, it, there doesn't seem to be a code of celibacy for the Jedi Order. It just seems to be non-attachment uh, and non-romantic relationships that are exclusive. Therefore, but it's interesting to learn, as we do here, I just thought it, it's not a part of the Jedi Code. It's something they tacked on later. Right. And, and, and that got they may the have had good group. intentions so for it. That's yeah, important. So, yeah. <laughs> right? So we covered Hera and Kanan there. Uh, we get some more proto-rebels in, in the story, so I just kind of wanted to quickly ask you about some of the characters that we spend some time with. And, and I thought Skelly was really interesting because we've never met a Clone Wars veteran who isn't a clone. Uh, and I thought it was really interesting to meet somebody who wasn't a clone, evolved in the Clone Wars, and it has some serious PTSD uh, and was a bomb specialist. And uh, that was uh, a really fascinating character to get to know and to see in this new Star Wars universe, kind of taking everything into account that we had gotten. You know, the PT, Clone Wars 
series and the original trilogy. Yeah, he really liked to blow stuff up, man. That guy, he his all of his his assassination attempts on Count Vidian, um, he got so close so many times, and uh, you know, ultimately succeeded. But man, this guy, he was he was like Sabine. You know how Sabine likes to blow stuff up. She's a little more artistic about it. She's a little more you know calculated. But this guy, he was just crazy, crazy dude. He was definitely interesting to read about. So I, I thought of the Muppets with Skelly. You know, there, and I had to look him up. His name's Crazy Harry. There's that Muppet, and he goes around with the little lever, and he's blowing everything out. <laughs> That's how Skelly was. Actually, I mean, he started to get on my nerves after a while. The first time I read the book, I actually, I felt for his character. I kind of liked him. This time I reread it, he was driving me crazy. It's like every scene he pops up in, he's blowing something up. It's, it's crazy. So this time you're like Kanan and you wanted to punch him in the face. Yes, and yeah, that's why I'm liking Kanan in this book. I think he's, a, he's an interesting character to watch because they're, he, I mean, he is suffering in, in, a, in a pretty bad way from the PTSD of, of the Clone Wars. But at the same time, he's also suffering because he can't understand that somebody would wantonly destroy a natural resource uh, and a natural formation like this planet Cinda for the reasons which the Empire does want to. And I think that's really fascinating to watch a character. And, and we are learning especially even through the character of Skelly, just how evil the Empire is because he doesn't believe that at all at the beginning. Like, he has to be shown that a few times before he finally gets it, that the Empire doesn't care what he cares about. You know, I thought that was that was a great story, and I liked that they used him to tell that story. I like how Hera actually tries to recruit Skelly, or, like, it, he's on her radar, you know, as far as somebody that might be helpful to the rebellion but then you know through his kind of interview process she's like no this guy's too crazy he's he's a loose cannon he's not going to be good for us it would be like having uh hondo as part of your crew you just like you'd never know what that person was going to do at least hondo's funny (laughs) that's true he's just yeah skelly is just somebody who's definitely deeply affected uh by what he's been through and so what about Zaluna? Because this was really interesting, and this added something completely different that I, I don't really recall seeing in the Legends line, the Overwatch specialist from Transept Media who monitors everyone, like the very, defin- the, the, the very definition of Big Empire watching you. I liked her character in this, and I like that aspect because she's, I mean, she works for the Empire, but this job that she does in in observing people was something that she was even doing as part of a corporation before the empire and now their empire is using them and i just feel that she fell into that group she didn't sign up for it so it's great to see a character whose motivation wasn't to pursue working for the Empire, but just fell into it, and now she wants out of it. And I think she's figuring out her way through this book of what her purpose is and what she's going to do. And I was really disappointed that we haven't seen her in Rebels. I was really hoping, when I've read this the first time, that we would get to see her character in the series, and we haven't yet. 
I remember one of the big complaints that people had about the Legends line of novels was when the novels would get a little too real world. They'd start talking about organizations or paperwork or, you know, things that you're, it kind of takes you out of the, the fantasy element of Star Wars. And the movies never got into that kind of stuff. The movies are just telling you this adventure and it's fantasy and it's dark side versus light side. But when you have a novel and you have to write a lot more detail, you start to get into the nitty gritty, which for some for some people, it's too much, too much information. I felt like for this particular character and like the organization she was a part of, I was that's kind of where I was at. It was almost like, it was too much going on. I don't know if I needed to know about this. The, even the name of the corporation that you just said, and I forget it already. It sounds like a real corporation that would exist in our world. It just, it kind of wasn't my favorite part of the book. And that character didn't seem super important to the overall story. She was a tragic character. It was very sad what ends up happening to her. But but overall, I didn't necessarily need her in this book. I think the book could have been the same exact story and kind of lost that element. I think it was, um, to me, it was an interesting character to introduce to the series as a way of helping you understand the ways in which, the deep ways in which Palpatine used relics of the Republic to help him subjugate the galaxy without them even knowing it. Uh, to me, that was that was just one of those things where I was enjoying watching how the Empire was growing and using these, you know, just everyday things. You know, she worked for a company who, yeah, they monitored people, but the monitoring was what kind of beverage do people drink on the train home so that we can sell them then that beverage? Or they would do good things like there would be an accident and they would send people, you know, they would, they would send the, the police force out, you know, those kind of things where the, every little single thing about the galaxy is slowly being corrupted from the inside out. And to me, that was really interesting. Uh, it also, I think it harkens back to John Jackson Miller's Soviet studies degree, um, big time. Uh, you, you can really see uh, where he would pull that from real world. Um, because I think a good time to talk about it real quickly, that every move you make, you know, the song, uh, it's very much what's happening here. You know, that the Empire is using these surveillance companies to spy on the galaxy now and root out the troublemakers, because as she said, later on, people that she would report now, they just don't show up again. You know, she doesn't know where they go or what happens to them. They just People disappear now. And that, that, to me, I really like that. I don't, I don't know. What did you think, Bruce? I did too. Uh, I, I understand Aaron's point about it feeling a little too real world, but and maybe I like that because it, it helps me relate to the situation because it feels real world. And then when the aspects of the Empire stepping in and changing stuff, it really... It stood out to say, you know, what, how much the Empire is changing the worlds and how people's everyday lives and jobs have changed. So that really just seems to work for me. I mean, it wasn't my favorite part of the book, but it was an interesting part of it. Well, it was also the place where uh, we get the first mention of the Imperial morale officer. 
which is very akin to the political officer uh, that the the Russians would have. Uh, that's the person that uh, Singer from I hate to reference uh, Aftermath, but <laughs> that's what that character will be. So this is the first mention of that connection. We'll see later, but also uh, this whole section. This is where we see that the Empire is willing to destroy natural wonders of the galaxy for their purposes. And that gets connected right into Catalyst, which that book has a part that's taking place right in this time period where, you know, Kanan and and Hera are. So uh, to me, reading this book again, I'm seeing that the story group is doing a good job of putting all these pieces together and making sure that they are connecting well, even with something that's just come out. Catalyst is the latest book, but this was the first one. And those two, there's a bunch of things in here that actually work hand in hand. Yeah, I didn't. And that's nice. I, I didn't think of A New Dawn when I read Catalyst, but having read Catalyst and rereading A New Dawn, A New Dawn made me think of Catalyst for those reasons. I Because it's been, what, a couple years since A New Dawn came out. So when I read Catalyst and they're destroying all these planets by mining them of all these materials and they're ripping up even preserved park areas. That's what happened in this book too. And it didn't even dawn on me the whole time I read Catalyst. So I never thought, oh yeah, this is like in the new dawn. I'm so glad we went back and reread it because it really d- did bring those two books together. Yeah, it's a, a, a common theme right now in the Star Wars literature set in this era. They're really trying to focus on what the Empire is doing and their willingness to destroy these ecosystems um, you see examples of it, like you were saying, in in Catalyst. I mean, even Rogue One itself. You know, you're seeing them, you know, mining the the kyber crystals out of that out of the the one planet that they go to. Um, but even the Servants of the Empire. I don't know if you guys read those the junior novels. It was such a big theme in those novels as well. With Zare Leonis, a character that does show up in Star Wars Rebels. You know, those novels focus on him and how they were doing the same thing. Uh, to to that planet, so yeah, it's it's definitely a common theme that keeps popping up, and I I like it. I I think it's a really, it is very cool because that's one of the things that I love about the prequel trilogy the most is the thematic element of the republic turning into an empire. Uh, you know, uh, democracy falling into totalitarianism, and I think uh, this helps continue that theme of how does that continue to happen you know how do people slowly get sucked into something that they don't you know it's the galaxy is in a huge frying pan and you know they're just slowly turning up the heat another example (laughs) of it too is just the the recent ahsoka novel same kind of thing they they pretty much destroyed that planet too um Mm -hmm. yeah i forgot about that but yeah it's a lot pretty much (laughs) Any any literature that has been set kind of in this time period is, has has some example of the Empire completely destroying an ecosystem of a planet. Are we going to get to a point where new books come out and we start saying, well, yet again, another planet that's being <laughs> ripped apart by the Empire? <laughs> <laughs> let's hope not. Let, let's hope that, uh, you know, like they don't fall into the same trap some Rebels episodes are. Well, we're on a supply run. (laughs) Another one? Like, we have to see all of your supply runs? Hopefully that doesn't happen with the books. Uh, This was interesting to me, though, because this was a direct tie, I thought, to the PT trilogy. 
with these businessmen run amok and that the emperor continues to use these businessmen, these corporations to get what he wants and playing them against each other. And Vidian is the very essence of that. This remade man, the cyborg who used to be just a, just a, you know, lowly guy who was, uh, checking out, you know, mining planets and, you know, all of these things. Uh, and because of his work, his, his body has been disease destroyed because of all the places he's visited in his life. And he spends two years remaking himself, being rebuilt as a cyborg and finding a way through the <laughs> stock exchange uh, to make himself into something that he wasn't before. And I thought that was fascinating because... He was a scary, creepy villain. I, I felt like this was a great way to start the new canon and give us a villain that was different and similar uh, and in all of those ways that made me, I, I mean, truly frightened. He, he, I mean, he has no qualms about just shooting whoever he needs to shoot to get something done. It, I, I thought he was great. Yeah, not even just shooting people. He, he, I think he killed a man with his bare hands at one point. Yeah, just bludgeoned him to death, and then he threw some some uh, the whatever the woman's name was the the basilisk lady that he threw her right into the acid, right? Yeah, lol. Yeah, and then her you know her own husband had to watch it later on in uh, some security footage, but yeah, he was one of the most vicious villains that we've seen, kind of in the in the new canon. Kind of familiar, you know, we've seen the cyborg thing. It's been done with Star Wars. It's been done in Legends. It's been done in the new canon. Um, Star Wars seems to love their cyborg characters. And I think he's a great throwaway villain. I don't know if I needed more than one novel with him in it, but he worked for this novel. Yeah, I don't really care if I see him again because he's a big jerk. Um, (laughs) He's different. I mean, he's like a lot of villains, but he's different because of the circumstance of him being a businessman and turning into this cyborg cyborg villain in the Star Wars universe. It's We're so used to seeing novels where, you know, oh, somebody is on the dark side and they're Sith Lord or they're not a Sith Lord, but they're Dark Jedi or whatever. And this guy isn't any of that. He's just a big jerk. And he reminds me, both times I've read this, of Knight Errant the Lord Odeon or Odeon or whatever that look, cause he was kind of cyborg. He had like a, a piece on his, you know, his eye and stuff. And I just always go back to visualizing that character from the comics and the novel of night. Aaron. What I liked about him too, is that he reminded me of Grievous, but a smarter Grievous. <laughs> um, and, and very similar to that where he is somebody who ended up needing the these implants but then once he got them he continued to wanted to upgrade and and thought himself better than even being human anymore so i thought that was really cool and i yeah i'm i'm right there with you i don't need more of this character but i think he was just so perfect for this book and he gave you just another side of of the the empire that was truly scary because it wasn't just another imperial officer villain you know, this was a new type of villain for the Star Wars galaxy. You know, this uh, really scary businessman who... Who happens to uh, be a is, Borg. Yeah, <laughs> who's basically a Borg. Yeah, incredibly smart and has put it past everyone, even the Emperor. That's the thing that made him truly scary to me. It's like 
he was getting away with this all under the nose of the Emperor, who you never get any indication that the Emperor had any clue that Vidian wasn't who he said he was. And that's what I thought was kind of fascinating. I think the Emperor knew... The Emperor tends to use these things against people. He probably had it in his back pocket. But um, <laughs> he just never ended up needing to use it. It could be. You're actually... But because Skelly, Skelly took care of it for him. But I, I, I'm I, surprised we don't have any official art of this character. I could be wrong. I don't think there is. Um, I tried to find some. I, he's such a interesting visual you know, character in your mind as you're reading it. I would love to see kind of what... Um, an artist's rendition of this character would look like. I almost picture him as that two tubes character in Rogue One uh, on Jetta, who picks up booty. That's kind of how I picture him a little bit looking like with the, you know, how part of his head looks normal within the other part looks like it's, you know, robotic. And then of course he has the two tubes to breathe and everything. I kind of imagined him like a Mr. Freeze from Batman, the animated yeah. series, except without the big like fish tank on his head. Yeah. Something <laughs> like that. That I like it. Uh, I, I, we should just create art. Yeah. Uh, you should do okay. that. Aaron. I'll hand draw um, something for you guys. <laughs> yeah, there Check you Twitter go. later. <laughs> What was really interesting, too, is that obviously this is, we talked about first book in the canon and these Imperial power games that are getting played already. And John Jackson Miller creates a character here who's going to live on for a very long time in the Star Wars canon. I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, this Captain Sloan that we get to know, the interim captain of the Ultimatum, and I love her introduction here. I think it's she's a fascinating Imperial character, and it's nice to get her side of things and kind of have somebody who's not necessarily sympathetic, but she's just interesting to watch on the Imperial side to give you an opportunity to clue in to what it's like to be part of the Empire and, and why you'd want to be part of the Empire. You know, um, I don't want to be part of the empire but i i still get an opportunity to kind of get a picture of of what's going on i just like that and of course the character will continue to grow throughout this i mean she's still my she's my favorite part of the aforementioned aftermath book she's really the only part of those books that i truly like so i don't know i i what did you guys think of her being introduced here in her character i think she's a very strong female leader whether she's with the empire or she's with the good guys she's a very strong character and i really enjoyed her in this book and i was so glad to see that she has appeared in aftermath and hopefully in other publications that come out um i she was one of my most favorite characters outside of hera and kanan in this book and i'm glad she didn't you know have a romantic relationship and marry vidian was that's, that ever a concern? <laughs> well, every couple, you know, we gotta hook them up, right? Nah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really like this character too. I think uh, it's a great character. I love it when they create a character and then continue to use that character in the canon. I, it's one thing I loved about the legend stuff is some of my favorite characters popped up in so many novels, and you really mm -hmm. got to. Yeah you know, grow to love these characters almost as much as you enjoy the characters from the films. You know, characters that will just show up in one novel and then they kind of disappear. You don't build that attachment to them. So the fact that she has now shown up in a few novels 
and I think she even made kind of a cameo appearance in the comics. Um, I I think that's great. I I really like her character a lot. Um, I'm not. I do. I it does baffle me though when people try to justify the actions of imperial characters because they like the characters I, and i see that happen a lot in fandom where people are like oh i can understand why they did this or why they joined the empire like no 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 the empire is killing everybody they're the bad guys they are not they you cannot justify the actions and you cannot see any of their characters as um redeemable i mean I don't know. It's it, it gets frustrating to me. There are people who are like, yeah, I, I get what the Empire was trying to do. <laughs> no, I, I'm right there with you. And so when I said that it's interesting to get the Empire side of view, I'm thinking more along the lines of in the same way Lost Stars gave us an opportunity to understand people being a part of the Empire and what that's like. I think that's fascinating. Doesn't mean that I can excuse what they end up doing. Uh, I just I think it's interesting to see how people get sucked into the empire and begin to believe in it and why they might believe in it or why why they might want to be part of it. But I'm never going to agree with it. I'm ne- it's like I'm never going to be like, oh, Captain Sloan, she's just gee golly, she's the best character. Man, I would love to be her friend. You know, like <laughs> no, she's she's. On the side of evil. I remember a lot of people after this novel came out, you know, suddenly, you know, a lot of people really latched onto that character and all the speculation that, oh, she's going to, she's going to see the error of her ways and join the rebellion eventually and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, as many years later that aftermath comes along and she's still just a bad Imperial. She's. Yeah. No, she's, she's no callous. No, no. Do you know Uh, who I picture? Uh, And Matt, you appreciate this because before the show, we're talking about DC shows. But I think Gotham, I think of Fish Mooney, Jada Pickett Smith playing this character. Oh, yeah, that could work. Yeah, I was I was also thinking of um, uh, like a Zoe Saldana, too. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. might work uh, as her. But um, the last thing I I wanted to touch on with you guys was this was was interesting in the book and it's near the end. And I really loved this conversation, this whole idea of the Jedi at this point, you know, they who must not be named. Uh, And there's there's a conversation happening between some of the characters and they say uh, people can't talk about the Jedi anymore. And somebody says, well, maybe they should. And there was other conversations had between Hera and, and Zaluna specifically and some of the others talking about their experiences with Jedi or seeing Jedi before and how they felt about them. And it was really interesting the way the book shows that the galaxy does miss the Jedi as they should have been, you know, because they were the people that cared about others when nobody else did. And they inspired people because of it, they gave them hope. And I, I really liked that small little nugget that I felt like John Jackson Miller places in here that in this dark time people might not talk about the Jedi a lot of people still remember them and they remember what they used to be and and they do still wish that they were around and I liked that idea of of Hera kind of saying well maybe they should talk about them more because if he did maybe we remember that there's a whole different side of life that they used to show us what that was like that altruistic side of life and i thought that was really cool yeah because there was a part where kanan does use the force towards the end and hera 
is thinking to herself how, well, he must be a Jedi, even though she's never seen that before, but she's heard the tales of Jedi and what they could do. So she assumes that he must be that Jedi. It's almost like Rey in The Force Awakens when she hears Luke's name and says, you know, I thought he was a myth. It's almost like that kind of attitude. Already, It hasn't even been that long since The Purge, but it's, you know, people don't talk about Jedi and they're almost like a myth. So when you actually see a Jedi, you're taken aback from that. It's it's unreal. You're not used to seeing or even talking about it. That does, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't Hera talk about the Jedi coming to Ryloth during the Clone Wars and insinuating that she's alive during that time period? I don't remember if she talked about it or thought about it, but I do think something was mentioned. I think the Jedi should be in everything. So, And yeah, it does say in the book that when she was a girl, the Jedi had helped her people during the Clone Wars. So she's, she's very aware of what they can do uh, and who they are. So yeah, I think that's... To me, it was just a, a fascinating thing to get um, as the book is kind of coming to a close and as we learn or about to learn in the book that Kanan is a Jedi. And it's it's one of the things that it's almost as if the whole time everybody can sense that about Kanan. They just can't place their finger on it because he keeps doing these things that he says he doesn't want to do, like helping people. <laughs> he can't just he can't help himself but to help others it's it's a part of his dna whether he wants it to be or not and I, I just i really liked that hera has so. to be the luckiest rebel leader in the galaxy because she just happened upon not one but two jedi who are now part of her team you know she happens upon this guy uh kanan who you know ends up being a former jedi and then they happen upon ezra you know it was Obviously, the force is at work there, but it's funny to me that she's kind of spoiled. Her group has not one but two Jedi in it as they're trying to, you know, no other rebel cell has any Jedi. And she's got two. And let's not forget Ahsoka, you know. Oh, yeah. Ahsoka uh, joins them eventually, too. They had three Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) They really should have been the leaders of the rebellion, not Han, Leia, and Luke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that brings us to the final question. Uh, as to what you would rate A New Dawn. Uh, what do you think, Bruce? I like this book the first and the second time reading it. I th- would think I liked it a little more this time, more so for the characters, but the story I didn't like as much as I did the first time. It's kind of strange. It kind of flip-flopped on me. I, I think I, I enjoyed the story more so than uh, all the characters, and now this time it's the reverse, except for Skelly. I, I, I didn't like scully this time he can just go blow himself up for all i care at this point but i don't he think did. we were really sp- he <laughs> did yeah <laughs> that was my favorite part actually right there that was my favorite part of the book but uh, <laughs> and so when i bought this book when it came out i got it on kindle and i reread it on kindle but i also got the paperback when i was at uh, celebration in anaheim so that john jackson miller could sign it so that's a pristine copy that's staying where it stays with his signature on it. I'm not touching it. So I would say that I would give this four puffer pigs out of five. What do you think, What's Aaron? The, how do you guys rate stuff, dude? Is, there, is it all puffer pigs or you just come up with something? <laughs> oh, you can, you can come up with you pick want. out anything okay. you'd like. This one's, I think I kind of alluded to it earlier. This one's kind of middle of the road for me when it comes to the new canon novels. It's, the subject matter of it isn't what I typically enjoy to see 
in a novel that keeps me interested. I liked seeing the background of of Canaan uh, and Hera, but I, I feel like I could have gotten as much out of like a short story maybe about it than a full novel. So I enjoy John Jackson Miller's writing. You know, he, he's written some of the, the best stuff when it comes to Star Wars. But this one wasn't as much for me, kind of middle of the road. So I'd, I'd give it three three stars out of is the stars boring that's boring i, I wasn't prepared to come up with uh with uh, uh something to compare to puffer pigs <laughs> but yeah three out of five i guess i would say i liked this book the first time that i read it and i think i actually like this book a little bit more the second time i read it and i think it's for the same reason you were talking about bruce i i enjoy the the characterization here and i i'm enjoying going back and reading about Hera and kanan now that i have more experience with them because of the show so it it adds even more to that experience of me rereading the book i also enjoy john jackson miller's writing john is such a great author in the sense of of packing in so much stuff and I like that. I like that I feel like I'm getting my bang for my buck with the book that he's writing. That he was really doing a great job of of painting the world. And again, we talked about this, the first book of canon, painting what the world was like after the Empire took over. And like you said, Bruce, this is the first canon representation of what the world is like after episode three. And I think he did a fantastic job of setting up that universe that everybody else follows you know the series of rebels rogue one really enjoy this book and so i think that it is definitely four out of five not quite sure if we're in charge of the star destroyers because we're interim captains so yeah uh i i just i really i like this book a lot and i think it's it's well worth anyone's time especially if you're a fan of Rebels and you've if you've watched Rebels, you haven't read this, great time to read it. Uh, if you have never read any of the new canon, I think this is a great place to start. Uh, if you've read all the new canon and you haven't read this one, it's a good time to start. Uh, if you liked Rogue One, I think this is a great read too. So I, I think this is a just a fantastic place uh, to dive into Star Wars canon as it is now. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, and yeah, I, I really just enjoyed the, uh, the snappy back and forth between Kanan and Hera. It reminded me a lot of those old forties and fifties movies with the two main leads where they kind of like each other, but they don't want to admit it. And they snap back and forth at each other. Good dialogue. So, uh, really appreciate so many people uh, that help make this show possible each and every week. We've got our associate producers through Patreon Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson, Norman Lau, thank you so much for supporting the network and this show specifically, making sure that it always comes to you each and every week. And we've got a big year ahead of us here at Trek FM, and we can't do it alone. So uh, we ask you to go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of the team. We've got a ton of stuff that's coming out for you these days with the patron zone that you can check out. If you're a patron member, $5 and above, it's fantastic. You've got great perks there. Again, every little bit helps make sure all the content across the network keeps coming to you. And again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. 
Bruce, it's uh, it's great to have you back in the 602 Club, as always. Where can everybody find you if they'd like to talk some more Star Wars or maybe maybe Star Trek books? Hey, either one. I'm open to it. So if you want to talk Star Trek books, you can find me here on the network on Trek FM on Literary Treks with Dan Gunther. And Matthew joins us fairly often to discuss those Star Trek books. And if you want to talk Star Wars, you can find me over at the Star Wars Report. I'm on there fairly often, probably more than I should be, but I am on there pretty often on the Star Wars Report podcast with Riley Blanton and Mark Herleman. And you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And Aaron, fantastic to have you back. Uh, let everybody know, of course, where they can find you and about uh, where they should be listening to you when you're not in the 602 Club. Uh, so I have a podcast called Star Wars Bookworms where we also review Star Wars books. And we, in fact, we did uh, a review of A New Dawn way back when it came out. So back in October of 2014, we did an episode. So if anybody wants to check that out, it's still up on iTunes. And um, it's episode, I think, 33 of Star Wars Bookworms where we actually reviewed A New Dawn with Vanessa Marshall. She came on the show and talked uh, A New Dawn with us. So... Just just showing us up. That's that's cool. It's cool. Everybody's like, why did I listen to this episode when I could have been listening to that? <laughs> well, can I add to that that Star Wars Bookworms also has a Goodreads group, and I remember participating in the discussions on there with the group. So that's another cool place. Oh, yes, and Star John Jackson Miller actually came over to the group and uh, had a Q&A in one of our forums. So, yes, Vanessa Marshall, John Jackson Miller, totally trying to top you right now, Matt. But... <laughs> But that episode, though, it's a fun one. She had to call in on her phone. It's a very haphazard conversation. I was definitely starstruck, so it's a fun one just to go back and listen to just so you can make fun of me. Yeah, Star Wars Bookworms is a podcast that I do with Teresa Delgado, and uh, I also do a Lego Star Wars podcast with uh, uh, Jonah Marie Macias, and that is kind of focused on the Freemaker adventures, but we also talk about just Star Wars Lego in general. And we're like 13 episodes in on that one. Have some really good interviews. Um, and uh, let's see. What else? Oh, yeah. And I have a Doctor Who podcast called Bad Wolf Radio oh. that I do with my friend. No, 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 no. You don't just go, oh, and I have a Doctor You have a great Doctor Who podcast. Oh, I appreciate it, Matt. Um, my one listener, Matt, enjoys my podcast. And um, <laughs> I do that one with Adam Farmer. We've got t-shirts and everything. Who's a much better uh, host with Doctor Who than I am, but... I would definitely love for any of you to go check that one out. Um, and that's over at Geek Tyrant. Uh, you can find it on their Pod Tyrant network. And then, uh, Aaron, uh, where can everybody find you on uh, Twitter or anything like that if they'd like to catch yeah, up? Yeah, Twitter's today? probably the best place. And uh, it's at AV Goins, A V G O I N S. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, these, these guys have great stuff going on. I really do encourage you uh, to check out their podcasts. Uh, I. In, it's fine that I'm totally jealous of, of Aaron that he's talked to Vanessa Marshall. I'm not, uh, you know, but at least I've talked to John Jackson Miller a lot. So I, I feel like it's the, the balance is kind of there. Anyway, uh, before we get way off topic, you can find me on Twitter, MattRushing02, on Instagram, I'm rushing. Uh, I'm here on the network doing the orb with Chris Jones, as well as, of course, uh, you've got the 602 Club and Star Wars the 602 Club collection. Find both of those up there on iTunes and make sure you hit them up with star ratings and reviews. Uh, it means a lot to us when you do. And yeah, 
if, if you do, we'll mention you on the show and give you a huge shout out here. So you can also find me on another network, The Nerd Party. I'm doing a few shows there. I've got a brand new show called Owl Post, a Harry Potter podcast. Going through that with Drea Kaufman. We're walking through each and every chapter of Harry Potter. We've just started the podcast, so it is the perfect time to catch up with us. We've only got a few episodes out there. We're going slow, folks. So if you've never read the books, it's the perfect time to jump in with us. If you've read the books a million times, it's the perfect time to jump in with us. So check us out out there over at uh, thenerdparty.com or, of course, on iTunes where we would love some reviews of that show as well. And doing aggressive negotiations with my good friend John Mills. We are the Jedi Masters talking about Star Wars, esoteric, weird off-the-wall, crazy, serious, fun. We're covering it all with Star Wars, so make sure you join us over there. It's it's really a blast, so I, I hope you will. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you.